welcome everybody, Sunday service, beautiful people. It's glad to have you guys here joining us for our series on drawing near to God, drawing near to God. You know, one of our, one of our biggest uh, desire and hope for the church and its people is that you would grow in spiritual maturity, spiritual maturity. Right? Spiritual maturity is not just about the amount of commands that you obey from God. I mean, that's part of spiritual maturity. That's one arm of spiritual maturity. But real spiritual maturity also begins with how close are you growing with Him? Are you being with the Lord? Are you able to engage with Him inwardly from where you are? Are you able to allow for Him to begin to do the healing process of the emotional traumas, damages, and pain that you have gone through and do a transformation in your life? Right? You got to be near to the Lord as well as doing things for the Lord. You know, Jesus was right and he is right when he says, there will be a day when people will come to me and they will ask, they will say, did we not do these things in your name? Did we not give? Did we not serve? Did we not offer ourselves in your name? And Jesus will say, I have never known you. For it is true, we do a lot of things for the Lord, but oftentimes, more often than not, we fail to be with the Lord. And this series was designed and dedicated for that. And, I, and I, I, I'm not sure about you, but that's actually doing a really good thing for my heart, you know, like in terms of uh, drawing near to God and really dealing with a lot of uh, emotional baggage and issues that I personally have before the Lord, right? And I, I told you at the beginning of this series, I, I feel like I'm on this journey with you and not like, like I've understood the journey fully yet, right? But I'm on this journey with you as I'm discovering what it means to actually heal an emotional way, right? We've, we've talked about a couple things. To cultivate being with the Lord, first and foremost, is you got to know who God says that you are. Not what someone else tells you you are. Not what your parents tell you you are. Not what your culture tells you you are. To begin this process of being near to God, you have to know who God says that you are. At the moment you call upon his name, as Savior and Lord, the moment you confess your sin and you recognize you need a Savior, automatically at that moment, He declares upon you this identity. He looks to you and He says, you are good. You are lovable and your existence is good. It is good that you exist. So take off the mask that says, I am what I do. Take off the mask that says, I am what I have. Take off the mask that says, I am what people perceive me as. We have spent our whole life wearing all of these masks, defining ourselves by what accomplishments that we can do in our lives, defining ourselves by what things we can accumulate in our lives, defining ourselves by what people will perceive us as, as in our lives. And Jesus says, I have already declared to you who you are, and you build your whole identity off of what I've declared, that you are good, that you are lovable, that your existence is good. And we talked about not only do we need to know who God says that you are, but you also need to go on this journey of going back in order to go forward. You have to recognize that you are the accumulation of so many curses that happens to your parents, your grandparents, and your great-grandparents. You have to recognize the way you see money, the way you see grief, the way you deal with emotions, the way you deal with family. It is a perpetual curse that has been given to you unless you go back you won't be able to find a place of healing to go forward. You guys know what I'm talking about here, right? You have to recognize where you came from 
and then rewrite your script for healing as you go forward. Rewrite your script in light of Scripture as you go forward. You know, I had this funny thing. I had a talk with my son last night. He was in men's group with me. Uh, and then we, we, we drove home, and he says, Daddy. I said, what's up? He said, can I ask you a question? I said, of course. He says, is it Ernie, Nathan, and Danny? Do they, do they pick on me because you picked on them? And I was like, what do you mean? He said, Daddy, you kept saying generation, generation, right? So you picked on them, and now this generation they pick on me? And I was like, hmm, interesting. You're not wrong, right? You're not wrong. I was like, huh. So what are you going to do now, right? He's like, I think this is where it stops, Daddy, right? I was like, like are you sure? I was like, I'll try, right? But it's true. And I, I, was, I, was, I was a little proud, but I was, also, I was thinking like, man, he actually sees everything, right? That's, that's so dangerous, Right? You have to go back. You recognize what's in the past, how your family deals with these things, the curse and that which they have given to you. Recognize those curses in your life and then rewrite that script in light of the Scripture, in light of what God tells you you are, in light of recognizing the real pain that's been given and finding healing through that pain, okay? Uh, feel free to go back to those messages if you guys ever... Of question, but today I want to share with you something, um, something very unique that happens as you draw near to God, and something, some, something that we often actually fail at as we go through this process. I want to share about a situation that happens within every Christian, every believer, every professing believer. There's a, there's a situation that often is brought on by God Himself, that He brings us into this situation, and as He brings us in this, to draw near, the goal is to draw near to him, but he brings us into this situation. And if we are not careful, if we don't experience and navigate the situation well, if we choose to avoid it, if we choose to run from it, we begin to recognize the lack of spiritual maturity in our life. But God brings us into, these situation, into this situation. And what is the situation that I'm referring to? Every believer goes through it. It's a cycle of their life, Okay. The situation I'm referring to is what we would call a, a crisis of faith. Uh, a, a famous author called it the dark night of the soul. Right? Our title calls it darkness. A place where you encounter a wall in your Christian journey. Where the pain is unbearable. And this cycle continues to happen over and over. I'm pretty sure you guys understand. Let me, let me share with you how this cycle happens. Right? So, for example... You, you've had this life-changing experience with God, whether it's at a retreat, whether you've repented and just God really just changed, overtook your life. He changed it. You bowed down. You prayed. You confessed him as Lord. You know he is God. There's a life-changing experience. And that life-changing experience propels you to do what? I want to know more about God. You start engaging in scripture. You start reading. You start coming to small group. You start going to community. You start learning about God. And it's exciting. And, it's, and you just... You just uh, the, you're just thirsting for knowledge and you're just devouring as much as you can for the wisdom and the knowledge of who God is and you're trying to root yourself in the disciplines of the faith to grow. And as you're doing that, you decide, you know what, I want to serve too. I want to be a part of giving back. I want to be part of, of sharing. I want to be part of doing. I want to be part of living this life out as a Christian community, right? You're actively working, serving, and using your gifts for the community. And then, and then, here's the point. And then you hit the wall. 
The wall happens when you begin to continue just to keep doing. And it drags on. And it drags on. And you find yourself slowly moving towards the cycle of darkness, emptiness, right? You feel disconnected over time, even though you do so much. You begin to have your prayers seem unanswered before God. Your good feelings begin to evaporate. We feel the door of heaven shut off on us as we begin to pray. Darkness, helplessness, weariness, a sense of failure and defeat begins to crowd into our lives. Barrenness, emptiness, dryness descends upon us. The disciplines aren't working anymore. We can't see what God is doing and we see little fruit in our lives. That's the wall. That's the dark night of the soul. That's the darkness, right? This is the wall every Christian hits. And I'm sure a lot of you guys have gone to this wall. Now, here's the thing. A lot of us, once we hit this wall, we don't know how to navigate it. And so what do we do? We run. I need to take time off. I need to disappear. I need to do my own thing. I need to just get out for a while. We don't know how to navigate this well, and so we find ourselves continuously stuck, stagnant, unable to grow in the same position as we've always been 30 years into our Christian life and still young as ever, 30 years into our Christian life and still as immature as ever. But the good news is this. You want to hear the good news? The good news is that God actually is the one who takes you to this. You, you, you don't, you, you're not the one that chooses this. He actually does this intentionally. He takes you into the darkness. He takes you into the dark night of your soul. He takes you to hit that wall. He takes you into a place where you feel a crisis of faith. And if we navigate this wall, this darkness, this night well, if you navigate it well, listen, you're going to have a result that's going to have a deeper why. You're going to be able to engage in service again with a deeper, fuller understanding of why you do it, not because of of trying to just kind of obligation of the work, but you will have a deeper sense of connection to God and a profound understanding of his love for you. You will be serving out of the fullness versus the emptiness. You guys get me? If you navigate it well, if you engage this wall well, if you stop running from it. I want to share with you today the story of Abraham's life. He's, he's a homeboy that has went through a lot of darkness of his soul, okay? A lot of darkness of the soul, a lot of issues, a lot of crisis of faith. But this is one situation, one case study where we see him go through a very dark time. And we're going to understand, we're going to learn a couple things. We're going to understand why God takes us to it. Why God takes you to the wall. Why God leads you to a place where you feel dry and weary. Why God takes you to the place where you feel abandoned and barren. Why God takes you to the place where you no longer feel him in your prayers before him. We're going to learn how to get through it. Right? How do we get through this wall? How do we get through this darkness? How do we face the dark night of our soul? And lastly, we're going to learn what does it look like on the other side of it. On the other side of this wall, this darkness. So... We're going to learn why God takes us to it, how we get through it, and ultimately what does it look like on the other side. You guys follow? Open your Bibles, Genesis chapter 22. We're going to read 1 through 14 first. I'm going to read it for you guys, and then we're going to hit this up. 
This is the section about the, the testing of Abraham, the offering of Isaac, his son. Okay? This is a dark night for this man. This is a solemn moment for this man. A crisis of faith almost for this man. So let's read it. Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. And sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, from whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. And early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I, had, while I and the boy go over there. And we will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. He himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. They reached the place God had told them about. Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on the top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for your word this morning. And Lord God, we are on this journey with you to grow closer and deeper with you, Dad. Father God, we confess that so many times we go through this, this motion and obligation with you. We feel dry and empty in our lives, Lord God. We do not know why and we think it's just part of our life and we bite the bullet, we put on a grin, we smile and we just go about doing our business and we just say, Lord, you're in control and we try to act like everything is going well. But Lord, you know that deep down inside there is so much going on in our lives. We want to tell you how empty we feel. We want to tell everyone how, dark, how darkness, Father God, envelops us. But, Lord, we, we're so afraid. Today I pray, oh God, that as your word opens our eyes once again, help us, Lord, to hold to your truth and hold on to your word. Cling to it. Cling to it with all of our might, all of our strength. That as we go through our darkness our dark nights, our wall, that we would do it faithfully, honorably, trusting you, obeying you through the process. Lord God, forgive me, unworthy as I am, to preach your word. I ask for your anointing today to do this work. pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Why does God take us to it? This is, this is not something that we ourselves choose. God himself, in the love of his sons and daughters, in the love of their growth, he takes us to this wall. 
He takes us to this darkness. He takes us to this moment. Why does he do it? Look at, let's look at the story of Abraham first. I want you guys to understand the story of Abraham before we understand this passage. Abraham was around 70-something when God called him to go to a new land. He says, just go, Abraham. I will make you a new people, a new nation. I will make your name great. Through you, the world will be saved. You just got to go. Abraham had no children, no descendants, nothing to call his own. He goes out to a place. God begins to kind of grow his, his, his business, his work, his field. Yet still what? No children. His wife, the matriarch of the whole clan, barren, unable to produce a child for the family. And back then, such a thing was a shame and a guilt. Everyone around her being able to pop out babies like nothing. And she tries over and over and over, unable to do so. And the pain and the guilt and the hurt that comes from it and the envy that begins to rise over and over in it begins to envelop and, 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 and deals with her. Decades go by. Nothing happens. And that God shows up at the eve of their life. Sarah, 90-ish, 90. Abraham, almost turning 100. And God says, next year, next year, you will bear a child. Sarah laughed. I'm barren. I'm an old woman. Biology doesn't work that way. It's not going to work. But she knows that she belongs to a huge family. Abraham... She's the matriarch, he's the patriarch. We got to represent somehow. So she offers her servant to Abraham, have a baby with this woman, right? At least make my shame a little less shameful. Has a baby called him Ishmael. But it was out, you know, sometimes when God gives us a, a, a blessing and a promise, what do we do? We take control because we don't think that God can actually pull through. So we do the work and we think that, oh, now look at what happened. We have a baby, this must be a blessing from God. And God says, no, that was, that's, that's your hand. You took control. You did the work. That's not my blessing. My blessing comes with the impossible. And then what happens? At the age of 100, Sarah, 99, 91, has a child. A true blessing. The whole clan rejoiced. All of the weight, all of the burden, all of the shame, all of the guilt that she would feel as a woman now lifted up, placed into this blessing that they call Isaac. Abraham loved them, realizing, wow, this is a miracle. He is a miracle from God. Sarah loved it. She is, he is actually from my blood, my womb, my child, my son. What a blessing. What an amazing blessing. Waited all these years, the impossibility of it, and here it is. Experience something amazing from God. Yes? You begin to want to know God more. He was faithful, continue to live, being faithful to God. Serving, doing his work in the land of Canaan. And then what happens? You get to the place where you hit the wall. And who brought him there? God brought him there. And, and what did God say? Verse 2, or verse 1 and 2. He says, sometime later, after Isaac was born, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. 
crisis of faith. I've waited my whole entire life for this blessing, oh God. My wife's shame and guilt has been eradicated by this blessing, oh God. What are you asking of me? Take him to the mountain and sacrifice your son, your only son, the one you love. Sacrifice this blessing, the one you're so proud about, the one you love so much, the one you can't bear to live without, the one who has given your wife a sense of identity and worth and value again. Sacrifice the child. And imagine the crisis of faith, the darkness that Abraham was going through at that moment. Experiencing this amazing miracle from God and now hitting a wall. And you, you, can, you can be dang sure Abraham asked why. Just give me a good reason why, God. Why are you doing this? But God didn't give him a why. He just gave him a command. He gave him a command, just go and sacrifice. Imagine how helpless he felt. How weary he felt. How, how he was unable to even explain this to his wife. How do we know he's unable to explain this to his wife? Next verse, it says what? Early in the morning, he got up and got ready because he knew he had to work around her, not work with her. Can you imagine he's trying to work with her in this? Okay, Sarah, craziest thing. We need to figure this out. Let's talk about this. God has told us I need to sacrifice this child, right? I think Abraham was smart. He knew this was not going to happen. It was not going to work. So he had to work around her. He got up early in the morning, and he just did it without her knowing. He got up and he left, right? He could not understand why God was doing what he was doing. A crisis of faith. You guys follow me? Now the question I want to ask is, why does God lead him through this? Why did God lead Abraham to this crisis of faith? Through this darkness, through this dark night of the soul. Why did God do this to Abraham? What was his intention? Look at verse 12. Jump down. After all that since we'll get back to that, but look at verse 12. Right when he's about to lay, he, mean, he, got, he got everything ready. He got the knife going. He's like, this is, going, this is it, right? And God says, do not lay a hand on that boy, he says. Do not do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Why did God do this to Abraham? Why did he put him in this wall, this darkness, this crisis of faith? Because God brings you to this place in order to rewire and purge all of your affections and passions that you've made into an idol. Okay? It's a little long-winded, but let me say that again. He takes you to these walls, to these spiritual moments, to these darkness, in order to spiritually purge you, to rewire you, Right? From, and from these affections and these passions that you have made into an idol of your life. So that at the end of it, at the other side of the wall, you will have a delight and a love and a fuller communion with him. He needs to purge you of these things. You know what Abraham's situation was? What, what was spiritually needed to be purged? It was this. The imperfection of luxury. The wanting of the blessing more than the blesser. The wanting of the healing more than 
the healer. The wanting of the saving more than the Savior. The wanting of the giving more than the giver. The issue with Abraham was he was so enthralled by this blessing. And God was saying, this is going to become an idol for you. Do you want me more than that? I am bringing you into this darkness. I am placing you into this crisis of faith so that I can purge you of those passions so that at the end of it, you and me will commune in a deeper and more beautiful level. I am rewiring your passion. I am rewiring your affections. This is why God does it. What are some of the walls in darkness that he leads you to? 21st century, the crisis of faith that we face nowadays. As I read you this list, I want you to know that these crises of faith, these, these walls, these darkness of the soul, they repeat themselves over and over. It's not just a one-time darkness, guys. As you go through this Christian life, he continuously purges us. He continuously rewires us. He continuously fights for our passions and our affections. What are some of these examples? A divorce. A divorce that causes us to have a crisis of faith. A death of a close friend or a family member that flips our world upside down. A cancer diagnosis. A disillusionment of church experience. A betrayal of a shattered dream. A wayward child, a car accident, an inability to get pregnant, a deep desire to marry but remains unfulfilled, a dryness or loss of joy in our relationship with God. These are a myriad of examples of dark nights of the souls that we go through as believers, that God takes us to as believers And if we don't navigate this well, if we don't understand this well, we often run, hide, and we end up being stagnant in this place. But why does he take us to it? Why does he lead us to this darkness? Why does he bring us to a place where we feel barren and weary and lost, where our prayers aren't answered? Why does he do that? Because it is his way of rewiring and purging all of our affections and passions so that at the end of it, Our communion is, I want you more than I want that. I desire you more than I desire that. There's a lot of purging that goes on. For Abraham, it was the purging of luxury. But for some of us, it could be the spiritual purging of pride. That God takes you to this darkness because there's a pride in your life where you have a a tendency to condemn others, to be impatient with their faults. Where you are so prideful that you are only selective about who can teach you. You fail to learn from everyone else. Or God takes you to this darkness, this barrenness, this crisis to do what? To purge you of your avarice, your insatiable desire for gain. Right? We're not content with the spirituality that God offers us. And so what do we do? We keep reading. We keep um, gaining knowledge. We keep reading all these things. We're thinking we're puffed up with all of the smarts. Rather than growing in the poverty of the spirit and the interior life, we decide, you know what, I'm just going to puff up myself and be able to say all these smart words, be able to hold these long conversations, be able to make myself seem like I'm a lot smarter than everybody else. He seeks to purge us of these things, to humble us, or purging us of our wrath. 
Spiritually purging of our wrath, right? We're easily irritated. We're lacking sweetness. Have little patience to wait on God and God's people. Constantly finding fault. Constantly saying something, snickering, angry. There's another one. Spiritually purging us of our gluttony. We resist the desire to carry the cross. We just want the easy way. We want our lives to be smooth saying we just want pleasure. That's all I want in my Christian life. I just want pleasure. I want to make it as easy as possible. I want to avoid the cross. I want to avoid the temptation. I want to avoid the pain. And God takes you to the wall to do what? I need you to get rid of that. I need you to get rid of this desire for simple pleasures. Only these pleasures to, to fulfill you. Spiritual purging of envy. We feel unhappy because other people are being blessed before us. We compare ourselves to others. We think that other people are more, we, we're like, we, we wonder why aren't I as blessed as they are? Why can't I have what they have? Another one, spiritual purging of sloth. We run from what, that which is hard. Our aim is spiritual sweetness and good feelings only. We don't want the hard stuff. We just want the easy stuff. And so what does God do? He knows us as part of who we are. And so he takes us to these walls. He takes us to these darkness. He tells us to navigate through them, to engage in them. Why? So that I can purge you of these affections and passions. To rewire you in such a way that after you get out of it, there's a greater sense of me in your life. There's a desire for the serving of me with a deeper devotion and a, and a wanting of me versus just going through the motion of it, the obligation of it. The duties of it? You guys know what I'm talking about? Why does God take us through it? He takes us through our darkness. And we make no, make no mistake, there is darkness to rewire and purge our affections and passions. That we might delight in him and commune with him deeper. That's why he told Abraham, now I know. Now I know that you fear me more than fear losing your son. Now I know that you want me more than you want your son. That you want the blesser more than you want the blessing. So withhold your hand. Next question is, how do I get through it? Right? I mean, okay, I have to face it. Some of us are probably facing it right now. Some of us, maybe we're in a good season. We've experienced God, and we're just really enjoying the service to God. We're really enjoying the communion. We're really enjoying the growing. Praise the Lord for that if you're in that season. But maybe you're in that season where you're just tired. You're weary. You feel obligated. You show up only because you know you have to. Things are tired. Things are so tired in your soul. Your prayers don't seem like being answered. God doesn't seem like he's closed. Heaven is shut out from you. If this is the reason, God, if you're telling me that I need the purge of these things, okay. But how do I get through it? What am I supposed to do? Look what Abraham did. Look at verse 3 to 14. <clears throat> I'll read it again. It's a long reading, but it's, it's pretty much, to sum it up, is this. He embraced the suck, okay? That's really all that he embraced it. Early the next morning, Abraham got up, saddled his donkey, Again, I told you, he got up early because he knew that he's not going to be able to work with his wife on this issue. This is her blessing. This is all of her shame taken off. Her identity is found in this child. He's not going to be able to work with her. He's going to have to work around her. 
How difficult is that to go behind your wife's back to make sure that this has to happen? But he was faithful because he, he had to obey. He had to obey God more than the fear of what his wife will say to him. You guys get me? He had to trust God more than trusting his wife's logical words. And she will give him plenty of logical words. But he had to continue to trust God even when it was hard. Just, just keep going. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And we had cut enough wood for the burnt offering he set out for the place God had told him about. And on the third day, Abraham, on the third day, can you imagine? He walked three days with his son, thinking to himself, I'm going to end up killing this kid. Trying to say the last few words a father would say to his son. Trying to figure out what I should say to my son if it was my last words. But having to step for three days going through this, moment by moment, day by day, and each day, the weight of it being harder and harder. You can imagine Isaac cracking jokes, doing something cute, right? You can imagine Abraham laughing, right? You can imagine all of this happening between father and son, and then knowing in his head that each hour he walked, the weight of the reality of what? I'm going to have to kill this child. But he stepped each day, he, stick, he stuck with to the Lord. He remained faithful when everything in him wanted to run. When everything in him wanted to turn back and said, forget it. This was a mistake. We'll figure it out. We'll find a compromise. I'm sure God will forgive us somewhere along the line. Three days. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servant, stay here with me, donkey. Why and the boy go over there? We will worship and they will come back to you. He said, We will worship and then we will come back to you. Not I will come back to you. We somewhere in his mind, I mean he doesn't even know how this is gonna happen. He had he had no paradigm, no worldview in which he can figure out how is my son gonna come back. All he knew was this one promise that God gave to him through Isaac, you will have your descendants. That's all he knew. And so he says, we will go, we will come. I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know what is going to happen. I don't know what God's going to do. But the only way we're going to have descendants that outnumber the sand is through Isaac. So he stuck to it. Even in his words. He didn't feel it, but he said it. He said the truth, even though he didn't feel the truth. You guys get what I'm talking about? He was able to proclaim truth, even though he himself in his heart did not feel that truth. And then what happens? Verse 6, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife as the two of them went on together. Can you imagine how crazy that was? Son, carry the thing that I'm going to burn you with, right? Or I'm I'm going to build the offer to lay you on. Crazy. Isaac spoke up and said to his father, which is a pretty logical thing, smart kid here. "Uh, Dad, yeah, I see the wood, I see the fire, uh, but where's the lamb? Right? Can you imagine, like, his dad's like, that's you, right? That's going to be you. <laughs> Abraham's answer, God himself will provide the lamb. What a, what a cop-out answer. God will, Jesus, right? For the burnt offering, my son. And the two went on together. And they reached the place God had told him about. Abraham had built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. 
he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top. Why, did he, why do you think he bound his son Isaac? There ain't no way that the son's going to lay there by himself, right? <laughs> it's like, Dad, what are you doing? I, uh, can you lay down? No. Lay down. No, right? It's like, Dad, what are you, can you imagine Isaac running? He's like, Dad, you're crazy. What are you doing? Come here. I need you to come here. Just lay down. No. He had to bound him so that he stops running. That he's immovable. Lays him on the altar. How crazy. You're the father. Your son. Crying up a storm by this point. Okay. He's, he's freaking out. He has no idea what his dad is doing. That must be insane. And he's crying. And you're, and you're just tying him up the best you know how. Trying to keep him from moving. And just telling him over and over. He, I'm appreciating him. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And he's just tying him up while his son is crying and crying and crying and crying. Puts him on the altar. Right? Then he reached out his hand, took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Probably the best moment. This is, this is the first time in three days that God has spoken back to him. He, he must have been asking God, why, why, why? Whole time silence. Absolute silence. Dead silence. Total darkness. Heaven shut off. And in this moment, he heard Abraham, Abraham. Here I am. Ooh, ooh. I thought you were gone there for a second. Lord, here I, here I am, right? Lay down the knife. Lay it down. Ooh, the relief. Because he was going to go through with it. Right? How do we get through the darkness? I'm going to tell you guys, the amount of time is not up for us. We don't get to dictate how long it takes. This is God's purging work. As long as it takes God to purge it out of us, he will do that work. What we need to do to get through it is not run. Is not to shut off spiritually. Is not to say, well... If you're not going to talk to me, then screw you, God. Well, if you're not going to have me close, and if I'm not going to feel you around here, if all these feelings is evaporated, then you do you, I'll do me. When we figure it back out, we'll get back together. That's not how it worked. Every moment to make the choice to trust God, to wait on God, to obey God, to stick with God, to remain faithful when everything in you wants to run. How long do I do this for? Until God finishes his work. Until God purges us, us from these affections and these passions that has gripped our souls and made us slaves to these idols. Until God knows that now on the other side of this, you will know me better and deeper than you've ever known me before then I've taken you to the next level of your growth, the next stage of your journey with me, to the next place of your deepening relationship with me. How long will it take, God, as long as it takes to purge you? How hard, how hard have you clung to this? Then that's probably how long it will take me to let go of it. But how do we get through it? To trust God, to make the choice, not the feeling, but the choice to trust God, to wait on God, 
to obey God, to stick with God, to remain faithful to God, even when everything in your heart tells you, run, get out, scram, count your losses, just do you. Stick to it. I've, uh, I've had a few darkness, dark night of the souls in my life. I'm pretty sure a lot of you guys have too. I can number them, right? One of the, one of the ones I, I was trying to figure out which one to share with you guys that, that, that I haven't shared before. But so this one was, um, this was when I was in, uh, was in college. This was my first time that I was given a leadership position of leading men, young men, right? I was in this thing called uh, uh, Sarangbang, or just like, it's, it's, I'm trying to say the house of love, right? right? I know. I don't know, right? But it's, it's called that. And basically, it's, it's, it's a house where Christian brothers get together with the heart and the intention of doing God's work together, praying together, seeking God's heart together, doing Bible study together, leading together, right? Moving together. And for some odd reason, the staff said, I want you to lead it. I've only been in CCC for one year, so I want you to lead it. And I was like, okay. Excited. I mean, I was growing with the Lord. There was a whole different journey. God met me in a very powerful way the year before. And I was like, okay, God, I'm, I'm ready to do this. And I stepped into it. And I didn't, I thought everyone was the same level, same place, same, same mindset, but it was not the same. All right? I walked into this thing 10 weeks, 10 weeks praying for these brothers, 10 weeks working and dealing and fighting and dealing and working and fighting. We were, we were supposed to, like, win the campus together. And we know what we were fighting about? Why did you eat my food? It's like, what? Right? That, that was our biggest fight in the house. It's like, my name was on it. Why did you eat it? It's like, bro, it's shared. It's the house. We, it's the house of love, right? We're supposed to love each other, you know? So we, to, like, we spent, like, weeks trying to figure out, like, you know, logistics and politics. Like, and that's why I came up with the phrase. If you're the one killing it, be the one filling it. That's really it, right? If you kill their food, you fill their food. Very simple. Agreed? Agreed. Ten weeks. And I'm just thinking, Lord, I failed. I failed these guys. They're not growing. They're not. They would, when I would run, when I would leave for a Friday night Bible study in L.A., there were weeks they would stay back. There's one time I, I came back early because I got lost. I, just, I did a bunch of wrong U-turns. I thought, oh, forget I'm going back home, all right? Came back home. They weren't expecting me home. What did I see? Just jugs of beer in front of me. I was like, bro, guys. Like, they were like, oh, Tony, you're home early. Shoot. You want a drink? I said, like, get out of here. Right? There was a policy. We weren't supposed to drink that time, right? And so I was like, Lord, I failed. And I'm praying to God, like, God, help me figure out how to help these guys, fix these guys, deal with these guys. And guess what? Absolute darkness. Emptiness. Weary. I was about to like, I'm done. It's only 10 weeks. We had a whole year. I said, I'm done, Lord. And you know what? I ran. I'm not going to I'm not going to I ran. I remember I took that story. I, after that 10 weeks, my, my first run is we ran to Vegas, right? Ran to Vegas. Why? Lord, if you're not going to answer me, then I'll see you later, right? And that's when God met me in Vegas. He said, well, if I never answer a single prayer for you, would you stop following me? And I said, Good point. Guys, get up. We got to go back home, right? <laughs> Went back home. 20 weeks after that, what was it? Just embrace the suck. Make the choice to trust, to wait, to obey, to stick it out, to remain faithful when everything in me said, 
just get out. Count your losses. Cut your losses. You don't need to leave these guys. They, have, you, they owe you nothing. You owe them nothing. Count your losses. Get out of this. But we didn't. Monday. Every, I mean, this is the embracing the suck. Every Monday. Every, every morning, wake up. Wake up every brother. Morning prayer, guys. Let's go. Right? Say, I don't want to drive. I'll drive. Get in the car. Right? Drive. Stand in front of our flagpole. Pray. Let's go back. Right? Say, I'm hungry. All right. Let's go get breakfast. I'll buy. Right? Buy breakfast. Come home. All knock out. Missed all their classes. Right? Tuesday. Supposed to get together for Bible study. Right? Say, hey, 7.30. It's a house Bible study. Come. Say, ah, I'm hungry. I'm eating something. Right? There's food here. Come home. Right? Come home. Begging, please, right? Bible study. Go through it. These guys sitting around laughing and just joking. Wednesday, all right? Leadership meeting. Leadership meeting. Hey, guys, we need to be trained. We have to go to leadership meetings. Like, do we have to? Like, yes, come on. Drag them out one by one. Just, just literally sometimes I have to like, I'm like, please, please, just please come, right? It's like, I thought this was supposed to be an easy house. Why, is this, why, 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 I feel, why do I feel like I'm just like working with non-believers here? Come on, guys, right? Drag them out. Thursday, chapel. Like, chapel. We go to chapel every Thursday. You know, you need God all the time, guys. Come on, right? We're actually leading this chapel. You have to be there. Anyways, let's go. Come on, right? Come out. Friday, Gethsemane prayer in L.A., right? Drive out. I don't want to drive. It's a waste of gas. I'll drive. Just, just get in the car. Let's go, right? Five days, 20 weeks. At the end, I said, Lord, what is wrong? Like, did, did I hurt you in any way, Lord? Like, why, why are you punishing me? Why would, why would you not give me? And, and, of course, what do I see? I see the other house, the sister's house. All the girls are praying together, fasting together, like writing little notes and cute things together. I'm like, here are the guys, like, can we just pray? Can we just pray, guys? Like, yeah, I guess we have to, right? And after all that, what is it? Embrace the suck. What's the point of, what is the point of embracing the suck? What's on the other side? Let me tell you. Because there is the other side, okay? God led you to it to get you through it. As you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, lo, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He got you to it. He brought you to there on purpose. You embrace the suck. You obey. You trust. You stick with it. You do it. Even if, even when you want to run, you stick to it when the feelings aren't there. You continue to walk, trusting that, God, I do not feel you, but I will speak truth no matter what. And as you begin to do that, he begins his slow, powerful, painful work of purging you. What is on the other side? Look at verse 13 and 14. What does it look like on the other side? Finally, Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horn. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. God imparts, what is on the other side of this wall? What is on the other side of the dark night of the soul? What is on the other side of your darkness, of this crisis of faith? That God has led you to. 
What is on the other side? God imparts something of himself into Abraham's character that will stay with Abraham the rest of the journey of his life. Always remember, Abraham, I will always provide. I will always provide. You tell your sons that. You tell Isaac. You tell Jacob. You tell your people, just keep waiting because I will provide. Abraham was called the father of faith, yes? He was the father of faith. You know why? Because he saw that in the end of this line, God will provide the ultimate Savior. Maybe not through the time of Isaac. Maybe not through the time of Jacob. Maybe not through the time of the 12 tribes. <clears throat> but ultimately, God will provide. And he stuck that to his family. And he lived that in faith. Abraham was counted as righteous because he believed in what God said. I will always provide. And that truth stayed with Abraham always. What is it like on the other side? What is it that God does? God will provide. <clears throat> God will impart something of himself unto you. He will give you something unto you that you will hold on to, that you will have, that you will cling to, that will stay with you on the rest of your journey. The trust, the faithfulness, the humility that will cling to you. A couple of examples. He will impart to you a greater level of brokenness. You live your life judging, right? Young believers, legalistic believers, we judge. You call yourself a Christian? You call yourself a follower of Christ? Mega churches, people are so superficial. If you go to that church, you are definitely a legalist, right? Look at what they're doing. They can't be a Christian. And what does God take us? He takes us on this darkness, on this journey to do what? To remind us, to purge us of that brokenness, to, bro to, to, to break us in such a way when we begin to realize you are a sinner just like them. You are an equal playing field. How could you look at another person and think in any way that you are superior to them when the blood of Jesus Christ was shed just for you as much as it was for them? Humble yourself, son. Realize that about yourself. How dare you think you're superior? There's a level of brokenness, a greater appreciate, uh, there's a greater uh, of, uh, level of brokenness for this. We, we are less offendable, offendable, right, because of our secure love in Christ. It's, it's, it's harder to offend us, all right? You're like, look at you. You're a believer? Look how bad you are. And you're just like, if only you know the half of it. You can't offend me. I already know how bad I am. You can't offend me. I already know my insecurities, my failures, my frailties before God. But I'm secure in him because he says that I'm what? I am loved. I am good. And though I am not perfect at this point, I am being made perfect. So you can't offend me. There's a level of brokenness and humility that comes out of it. There's another example. You get a greater appreciation of holy unknowing. You, 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 can, you can come into a place when you stop asking, why, God? Tell me the path, God. Show me the direction. Give me every single step that you're actually able to enjoy firsthand to appreciate the idea of not knowing. We don't know what God is doing, and that's okay. We don't know whether this is actually bad for us. And we're okay with that because we know what? 
that he works out all things for the good of those who love him. So even though as we're facing trials, as we're facing difficulties, we're able to sit and stand and walk and say, you know what? I'm okay of not knowing how this turns out because I know who my God is. I know his love for me. We can live more close to God on the other side of the darkness of the soul, knowing that God is in control and worthy of our trust. Because why? He is purging us of the affection of trusting this so that we begin to hold and cling more to trusting him. You guys get that? He's just rewiring our affections. He's rewiring our passions for him. Awaiting on the Lord is another example in which he begins to do on the other side of the, of the, uh, of the wall, of the darkness. We stop living impatiently with the situation that goes on around us. Lord, give it to me now. Let me have it now. I want to see results now. We start trusting that God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the saints of old is the same God back then as he is the same God today. We have this patient waiting on God. That you actually can wait on him. If you're thinking, I've not, I, don't have, I have a hard time waiting on God. Get ready, your darkness is coming, right? I have a hard time, you know, looking at people with humility. Well, get ready. He, he's he's going to humble you soon, right? And one more result, another example, is greater detachment. Greater detachment from the things that are masked, that makes us feel like we're worthy. We're able to detach from the idea, like, I am somebody based on what I do. I am somebody based on what I have. I am who I am based on what people say of me. We're able to detach ourselves from that. Do you know what it was that God imparted onto me after that? After that season with the brothers? It was this picture and this promise of just wait on me. Cling to me. Just wait on me. I will make it good. I will make it good. I will show you at the end, it is for good, right? One of the, one of the blessings, not, it's not about what they said, but at, at, the end of, at the end of those years, at the end of those 30 weeks, right? right one, one of the brothers, he came up, they, they all became my groomsmen, by the way. We were still, like those are the only few guys I still hang out with, right, uh, from college, right? One of the guys, they said to me, he's like, you know, 30 weeks, man, we were, we were just horrible to you. I said, like, yeah, you were, Right? You know? And he says, but looking back on those 30 weeks, I'm so glad you were there. Right? I'm so glad you were there. I'm so glad that you stuck it out with us, that you didn't run. I'm so glad that you didn't give up. I'm so glad that you saw our failures and you still continue to be with us. Right? And that truth stuck with me to this day. Right? That's, that's my philosophy with salt, personal philosophy. I won't leave you. You can leave me, but I won't leave you. Just wait on God to see, Lord, only you can heal them. So I'll be in their life for as long as they want me to be in their life until you do your work in their life. I'll have no qualms if they don't change, but I will be there to the end. Why does God take you to it? To rewire your passion. How do you get through it? Embrace that suck. What is on the other side? A deeper level of brokenness, 
waiting on the Lord, greater detachment for the things that you have, right? Greater appreciation for the things unknown. My prayer for you, church, is this. When you go through it, and mark my words, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you will go through it, okay? Don't run. Don't hide. Don't get into that mode of you do you, God, I'll do me, and then when we figure it out again, we'll get back together, right? Embrace it. Walk through it. It's dark. It's painful. It hurts. You don't feel it. All those goodness is evaporating. Stick to it anyways. Trust the Lord. Let him purge out of you those things that have caught your heart and made you a worshiper of those idols and those feelings. Let him free you so that at the end of it, you walk away closer, deeper, more commune with the Lord than ever before. Otherwise, you're going to see yourself 20 years as a Christian life and still stuck in the exact same place you started. Never changing. Same cycle, same problem, same issues. You allow for a retreat to stir you up just to let the wall bring you back down. You allow for a mission trip to stir you up just to let the darkness bring you back down. You let a great community stir you up just to let the darkness of the soul bring you back down. Instead of letting it bring you down and detaching you, would you go through it this time? Would you deal with it this time? And you come out more transformed than ever before. Abraham, the father of faith, what will be said of you? Let's pray.